I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host. What's good, Celtics fans? Happy Monday. I'm sure somebody's going to try and do that exact same intro in an English accent any moment now. But (laughs) great start to the episode. I hope everybody's ready for a new week. I hope everyone had a good weekend, enjoyed that Celtics victory. We're joined by the three-man weave today. So there's me, there's Will, there's Greg. We're ready to get weaving, I guess. We're going to weave some stuff. Yeah, Yeah, we can do that. Just follow your pass, man. Follow your pass. That's it, dude. Just make sure. And if you mess up the three man weave, then it's 20 suicide line, 20 suicide runs, yeah? You mess I up the three man weave, you're getting cut, man. If you mess up the three man <laughs> weave, you get cut. You don't make it through day one of tryouts. We, we talked about this. It. First thing. It's the first thing you do. Make sure, make sure you know what's going on when you're on the court here. Can you complete a solid three man weave? And make sure you put your hand on the line. I've said suicide, not homicide. Put your hand <laughs> on the line. Coach Carter. There we go. I was waiting for someone to call with it. Yeah, I know. I can quote that movie all day long. Talking, <laughs> we were just talking off air, and I said I wanted to save it until we got onto onto the recording side of things. So a little bit different. We are going to talk basketball, I promise. But as becoming quite um quite normal on this show now, we're going to have a little bit of non basketball talk to start the day off right. So yesterday, I started watching a very popular show amongst the Twitterverse called Ted Lasso, and uh, it is phenomenal. And see now. My issue is the last time I watched something that everybody was raving about on Twitter was Uncut Gems, which, in my opinion, was one of the most overhyped movies of my lifetime. I, d- I didn't okay. think it was very good. Um, I was very disappointed. So coming into Ted Lasso, I was rather nervous. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone, because I'm like, yeah, the, the same the same people that I saw talking up Uncut Gems are the ones I see talking up Ted Lasso. So I'm like, do I really want to watch this? Oh, I don't know, but. Uh, I finished season one in 24. <laughs> it sounds like a resounding yes that you enjoyed your time watching Ted Lasso. Yeah, dude. Like, my wife was like, oh, dude, I don't know. She was like, I don't think I'm going to enjoy this. Why am I going to watch something about a football manager? Obviously, football here, not football there. And um, I'm just like, let's just give it a shot, right? And uh, at the last episode, we just watched like literally about half hours before we jumped on this, ep- on this podcast. She was like, uh, I hate you because you've made me really care about what happens to Ted Lasso. <laughs> So wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just confirm something straight. When you said, "Hey, hey guys, like, can we push the pod back an hour?" It was because you needed to finish that lasso. Yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Well worth it. That's why. That's why, I, that's why when I text you, when you text me at the beginning, I was like, uh, "Between four and five because I didn't know what time I'd get that last." You were timing out through. all of the episodes to see. All right, so if we're talking right now, we've got. Four more episodes, about 30 to 40 minutes each. What's what's that timeline look like? Okay, we can podcast at this time when this is done. That's great. I have a question for you, though, Adam. Because like our, our perception of that show is going to be a lot different than yours, right? Because it's someone from our universe going into yours. So as an Englishman, when you watch that show... Like, how do you feel about an American coach coming over and, like, taking over that city? Okay, so it's happened before, right? If I remember, there was an Everton coach that took over it, um, an American coach that coached Everton for a while, if I remember correctly. You know, it didn't go well. But <laughs> not because he was American. I just, you know, the team weren't very good at the time. And I'm pretty sure it was that. I'll, I'll fact check this. Um, but as a show and as like a portrayal of like English soccer fans, like um, it's incredibly accurate, like okay. incre- incredibly accurate. Like, um, isn't it, is it Roy? Roy Kent. The, yeah. The, yeah. Roy. Yeah. He's, 
the, quint- the quintessential English t- English dude. You know, just like grumpy all the time, always wants to fight, happy to drink. Like he's mm-hmm. just like a. I know about fifteen different Roy Kent's. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, For sure. So who yeah, do you? Which character do you um, associate most with? Like, who do you see yourself in on that show? Ted Lasso. Because you're the, the, the outsider trying to make your way into the, yeah, the, yeah. the other side of the park. There you go. Look at that connection. Yeah. I, I, really, I really kind of uh, I connect with that character on like a base level because like the only difference is I actually know the sport I'm talking about where he ain't really got a clue. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, not, not to say that I know a lot, but I know enough to not be Ted Lasso level of uneducated at that sport. But like, yeah, man. That that whole coming over somewhere, not really knowing what the culture's like and how how to integrate correctly. Like I think uh, I I I identify with that a bunch. Yeah, I'm, I'm also. To, I was saying, I'm trying to think right now because I, I, Greg, I think you're the same as me. You've seen all of season two as well, so I feel yes. like I'm trying to tread lightly here and make sure that I don't mix up my seasons to ruin anything right. coming yeah. up here. So that's one of the things as you're talking about that that I'm you know going through in my own mind. But I have to know, this is one of the things from season one that I think really jumped out to me that I feel like Adam. So I'll set the scene for myself. I was watching the show with my girlfriend and her brother. Neither neither one is really a big sports fan. But the show, like like same as you, we like got into it one weekend and we pretty much watched the entire thing within a 48-hour span. It was a full season, just knocked it right out. So I think it was around uh, episode four or five. It's somewhere in the middle of the season. And Sudeikis, a.k.a. Ted Lasso, does the full-on Allen Iverson practice sketch or practice speech. I started going, I started howling, laughing, and my girlfriend and her brother just did not pick up on it at all. They were like, "What? why is this so entertaining to you? It's one of my favorite little nuggets that somebody's just thrown in or snuck into an episode that is for such a niche audience that if you know it, if you just pick, if you know that what that's from, it's one of the best moments of the entire season. Like, um... <laughs> So I watched that episode late last night, like 11 p.m. my time. And then um, we started watching it again this evening. We went to my uh, my wife's family's for, for dinner. We came home. I'm like, yo, I'm going to throw a couple of episodes of Ted Lasso on. Let's knock this out of the park. And as we're watching it, she was like, you know that speech you gave yesterday? The practice one. I was like, yeah. She was like, is that a real speech? I'm like, dude, it's the Iverson speech. I can <laughs> Google it right now. Like, it's so, like, legendary. Like, and you know what's crazy? Like, that show isn't big over here. Like, I don't know. None of my really? English friends, yeah, none of my English friends have messaged me like, you need to watch this or I'm watching this. Like, I've not seen any any conversation about it here. And it, that's crazy to me. But um, they've done, a, done an incredible job of portraying English football fans. So those three guys that are in the pub all the time, the, like, big <laughs> black dude and the two scrawny little white dudes, how many people in your life would you say you know that are exactly like those three dudes? 96% of people I've met. <laughs> like, uh, a very, very low. Not always, maybe not always in the pub, but like, you know, around each of his houses with some, with some, uh, with some beers, watching the football, mm-hmm. like shouting at the screen, jumping up but, and down. But they've got, they've got the jersey, they've got the scarf, they've got like game day. It's like there's nothing else going on in the world besides Richmond FC or, or whoever their team is. Yeah, dude, like 96% of people. Love it. It's, That's awesome. I, I, I always say it's like um, it's what I imagine football in Texas to be like, you know, like mm-hmm. there's very like the people that don't watch it are far 
um, outnumbered by the people that do. Like, you know, if you yeah. don't, if you're not a football fan in Texas, I assume you're a social pariah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Or, or you're recording a podcast on a Sunday, like we are. Yeah, oh, for sure. I, I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Hey, man, uh-huh. the Patriot, the Patriots just finished up their game not too long ago. We got the yeah. dub, so we're now two and three. Uh, things are looking up for the against the Patriots. Houston Texans. So, what up, Texas? You see, so you got two and three, but more importantly, you got two and zero. Oh. You have a Boston Celtics team that are currently. Undefeated. Let's go back to um. Let's go back to Coach Carter at the moment. We undefeated. We undefeated. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, how are you guys feeling about it, man? What you what you've been seeing from the game that you want to you want to hit on? Oh man, I, I I watched the game this morning. So I was at Austin City Limits Music Festival the last couple of days. So I was like unable to actually watch the game live. So I probably felt a lot like you do normally, Adam. And Will Will was kind of sending me some uh, text message updates throughout the game. And when he was telling me that Jason Tatum was making some like high level reads, and I think you also mentioned um, Peyton Pritchard looked pretty good and Romeo looked good. I got so excited. I was like, I can't wait to actually watch this. I can't wait to watch this. And man, my first takeaway, I would say, is the speed at which they're playing. You reference it as like the 0.5 offense, just like, you know, read and react, make a decision within 0.5 seconds. The pace at which they're playing at and the amount of passes that they're making with that are coming off of quick decisions, even if it's not like leading to a basket, just the ball is just not stopping. And I love that. And I love how they're pushing um, even off of made baskets. They're getting the ball out of the net and they're just pushing the ball off the court and getting a lot of things in transition. So the thing that's really standing out to me right now is just the pace at which they're playing. It makes for very entertaining basketball. It's high energy basketball. And it's something that I think a lot of Celtics fans after the last couple of years, are ISO heavy Kyrie ball. Now it's just like we're, we're playing basketball the way we want to see it played. And Tommy Hines will be smiling down from heaven right now. <laughs> I think for me, the biggest thing that stands out, and this is something that we we thought might stand out, but it's all theoretical until you actually see it, is the depth of this team. So last night, no JB out with COVID, no Dennis Schroeder out with the knee contusion, apparently doesn't seem to be serious, so he should be back soon. But, you know, losing two of your main, you know, top seven, eight guys last year was so detrimental to this team to then see the other levels of players that you're rolling out there. So last night, and even in a game where you look at that first quarter really most of the first half Jason Tatum didn't necessarily have it going on Jason Tatum like offensively from a scoring standpoint and so you think of missing Jalen Brown and let's equate you know missing Dennis Schroeder to a game where Kemba was out last year if you don't have their scoring out there and you think of the Celtics team a year ago to the team that we just saw last night you know and you see the way that other people were able to step up the higher level of skill how really until we got to the very back end of the game when it was you know the Sam Hauser and uh, Jabari Parker and like the bottom bottom of the bench going to be two ways and just training camp invites until you get down to that level on this Celtics team there are quality NBA guys currently on the court at all times and so I think being able to sustain themselves amongst you know a, a stretch where Jason Tatum wasn't even you know the scoring Jason Tatum that we're so accustomed to and be in that game, be leading that game for most of the first half. You know, it, it just shows a whole new level that this team has to go to, even as they're working through some of the kinks here early in the preseason. Don't you just love the fact that we've got a team where you can look at them and be like, anyone can come off the bench and give you buckets. I mean, I want to touch on that point five offense again, um, that speed that they're playing at. Um, I tweeted this out 
early this morning. I think pe- most people on stateside were probably still sleeping when I tweeted this out because I didn't check what time it was. But um, in the post-game presser yesterday, John Corrales um, actually asked Udoka, like, hey, we know like, you're trying to implement the 0.5 philosophy. Like, how's that going? And Udoka was like, yeah, you know, we're working on making sure the ball doesn't stick, making sure we get the right reads. And the best thing I can say to anybody is if you want a, a visualization of how that 0.5 offense works in like a successful execution, go back and watch some of the Phoenix Suns from last year's playoffs because they run that same philosophy on a five out. So anytime that you've got DeAndre Ayton above the break or just it's a four out one in, so Ayton's the only guy operating around that low post, watch how quickly they make their reads and their reactions. And that's what Udoka's trying to preach. So uh, I've been a big fan of that. I think the the increased movement, the increased speed has been fantastic. The off-ball movement's the other thing that's really, really stood out to me. Um, Josh Richardson didn't play much yesterday, really, in the grand scheme of things. But when he did, I was really impressed with his off-ball movement. Um, there was one play that I'm going to tweet out later or tomorrow. And that was because um, I have to save the clips because, you know, you need content between games. Um, <laughs> but the the one play was like a wedge screen just to get Ennis Cantor in, into post position. And it didn't end up in anything. But it was the fact that Richardson came in, set the wedge screen, and then relocated to the other side of the floor to make sure that there was enough room for Cantor to get going down on the low post. And then Udoka's adjustments have impressed me as well. I mean, if you watch that game back, the first half of the game, they're usually doing corner filled pick and roll. So someone's in the corner because the corner's been filled. And then in the third quarter, when they realize like, hey, they're kind of like, um, they're pinching on us. They're, they're shrinking the floor a little bit when we run that pick and roll. Udoka just went straight to the empty corner pick and rolls, created a bunch of room for um, um, pick and pop opportunities in the mid-range area. If it wasn't a pick and pop, then because of the open corner, the big man could like really roll hard and drag defense. And then there'd be room around to drive middle and whatnot. So that just that little tweak, that little adjustment really opened up the floor for a decent third quarter from the Celtics. So overall, I'm just really happy with the direction that everything's going in. The switching defense is still a little bit, uh, it's not switching very well at the moment. I don't know if you guys have this out there, but it needs some WD-40 or something. Do you guys have WD-40? <laughs> we do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the switching defense, that's going to take a long time uh, for them to, to get used to because it comes down to effective communication and trust. If, if they're not communicating effectively and efficiently, then they're not going to trust each other to be in the right spots. Hopefully, eventually, they won't even have to communicate verbally. They'll just understand where all the switches are coming from. But um, I, I kind of want to circle back to Jay Rich for a second because I thought he was probably the, the lone um, you know, kind of negative from game one. And I really thought he bounced back nicely in game two. Um, just a couple plays like, in game one, he was passing up the catch and shoot threes, taking one dribble for you know low percentage mid range shots, and he was over two from three point range last night. But both of those threes that he took were right in rhythm, off a catch, off of a skip, and there were a couple times where he caught the ball and he just drove immediately. He wasn't shot faking and you know doing the stuff that we get upset with Jason Tatum at, just you know kind of trying to find a rhythm off of a jab step and a shot fake. It was just 0.5 seconds, as you said making a quick decision and he was really knifing into the teeth of the defense which i found to be um you know, a breath of fresh air after game one because i was like mm, does he still have that burst does he still have that quickness because we signed him to be a, a secondary playmaker tertiary playmaker and i i just really liked what i saw from him but in terms of um the defense and the switching 
I thought Al Horford and Grant Williams were doing a wonderful job communicating from the back line. Anytime they were in that low, uh, low position, low man on the defense, kind of guarding the guy in the dunker spot. And when they were running high pick and roll and our guard had to get scrammed out, I thought the communication between Horford and Grant Williams was great. Um, they, they were communicating effectively. I don't think the guards right now are ready for that action yet. They're not like quite sure that the, the big is going to be there and that they can leave the man as, as, as early as I think they need to. Um, but I think Horford and Grant are going to be really, really important parts of the back line of the defense. So although the switching hasn't been great, especially as Scal pointed out, where, you know, anytime there was a, an action, like a dribble handoff or anything like that, they were kind of just like anticipating that in the second half and, you know, letting the three go, especially to people like Van Vliet and OG. Um, so I, I think that that stuff will get ironed out eventually, or maybe they'll have to make an adjustment, but I, I do think there, there is in, you know, I think we can take some positives out of last night's game, even though the defense itself after the first quarter wasn't very good. Yeah. I think the defense will, will come with time. It's just getting reps. You have to get those live game reps to, to really figure out, you know, where you can, where you can improve. But I want to stick on Grant Williams for a minute. You know, I feel like. Grant Williams gets a ton of heat from Celtics Twitter. And I feel like, you know, last year we kind of forget because the the bubble kind of messes with your mind. You know, like I think it was a week ago I saw that the NBA Finals from two seasons ago, the year anniversary of that was about a week ago, week and a half ago. So mm-hmm. the time frame in which a guy like Grant Williams has actually been in the NBA has has been completely muddled. This is his third year in the NBA, and we've all kind of, you know, I'll, I'll throw myself in there, too. I've definitely gone through spells of, like, are we giving up on Grant already? And, you know, maybe it's a little bit premature. Yesterday was a really nice Grant game. You know, when he was mm-hmm. in there with with the full-on substitution lineups, it still didn't look great. But that was kind of like that lineup probably does not work together all that much. I'm not going to really put that on Grant. But, you know, when you put Grant around a, a solid lineup where he can fulfill the roles that, that he's determined that he needs to be in, he's been doing a really solid job through these first two games he's very confident with that three-point shot he hit two more of them yesterday Greg you talked about his backline defense he had a great block coming over from the weak side in the second half of last night's game you know this is you know I, I don't know if I'm buying in all the way that Grant Williams all of a sudden I'm definitely penciling him into the rotation but what I'm seeing from Grant Williams so far has been one of the the nicest surprises in this preseason and uh you know I think he's a guy that Celtics fans may need to you know Pause, you know, step on the brakes a little bit when it comes to to Grant Williams and see what what happens here with him because he's he's given he's given Emay something to think about as far as giving him more opportunities. Well, if you know, like, if, uh, uh, sorry, Adam. So, like, at, at the end of the at the end of the bubble, right? If we had just like if we say last year the COVID season doesn't happen, you go from the bubble until this preseason, right? And your expectations of Grant Williams are coming out of that bubble and what you see in this preseason. I think everybody would be like Grant Williams is going to be an integral part of our rotation yeah. moving forward. You know, last season was just a, a crap season for everybody. And I think Grant was one of the people, as he said, he put put on all that muscle for that one game in which he shut down Nikola Jokic, right? <laughs> it's like all that muscle is there for that one game. But then he didn't really get to use it at all mm-hmm. for the rest of the season. And now he's slimmed down. He looks great. And I apologize for cutting you off, Adam. Oh, no, of course, man, of course. I mean, first of all, like, he put on all that muscle for one game where he shut down Jokic, but Shemi had all that muscle for no games, really. So, you know, you can always... You yeah, can I was always, trying uh, to avoid hitting Semi with shrapnel at some point in this, no, but I'm, I feel I'm, like I'm, we, he gets a drive-by every time we put the three-man weave together. <laughs> Seriously, though, you talk about Grant hitting freeze. 
one of the things that I really took notice of and I enjoyed seeing was he, he's letting them fly from the wing, not just the corner, right? Like he hit one of his frees from yeah. the wing. He looked super comfortable there. And that's just extending your range, getting used to taking shots from different areas. Sometimes you're going to have to um, lift out of the corner to become a viable like, passing option. The pass isn't always going to be there to hit you in the corner. And being, a, being respectable from the wing is also going to help open up the floor if you want to put it on the floor. If you want to run a, a side pick and roll, whatever it may be. Look, so that was a super big um, important aspect for me. Another thing that I really liked was um, you talk about that block. I love that block. I've got it um, clipped. But the most important thing for me was he got cooked on the perimeter on that before that block. Like he got beat off the dribble. But he instant before that would have been Grant like getting down on himself, putting his head down. What did he do instead? He rotated over, read the read the offense, timed to cut perfectly and then got that nice little um, block. Our form movement was great. I'm assuming a lot of people saw that tweet I put out where it was just a simple cut. Uh, saw Tate, two guys leading up on Tatum, cut to drag one of the defenders away, gave Tatum room. We saw him do that probably five or six times in this game. I mean, um, just a huge difference in the way he moves, how quick he can move. His lateral quickness was good. His um, like You could see he was like vocalizing his movements where he wanted to be. And uh, I feel like in the first half of the game especially, he was like heavily involved in a lot of good stuff that went went down you know, on the perimeter on defense, make, um, getting out in transition, setting good screens. Like I think that this could be a year where if he's used in the correct role and in the correct matchups, that and that's going to work for him. And obviously this year, Udoka has the the benefit of being far more judicial in what matchups he puts players in because he has the bench depth to do so. Mm-hmm. He could be like, sorry, Grant your minutes tonight aren't going to be where they were yet on the last game because this matchup, you're just going to get smoked, dude. Because we're going to play you a little bit less or we're going to put you in at the five and we'll figure it out. But like, I'd much rather that you know. And I'm sure Grant would be like, well, hey, this time last year, everyone wanted me to just get cut and I'll be out of the league. And now everyone's like, Grant's an important role player. Everybody's all right with that, I assume. Um, but as happy as I am for Grant, you guys tweeted at me and I woke up to this tweet. So uh, would you like to let me know what you tweeted at me and why? Because it was a very nice tweet. Well, first of all, I can't believe we made it almost 23 minutes into the podcast before this came up. I thought this was going to be, be leading us off today. But, uh, but Adam, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as we know, Adam's not usually able to watch the game live. So as I was watching that first half last night, you know, I was going to say our guy, but I'll say Adam's guy, Romeo Langford, having a fantastic preseason here, had a great game last night, continued from his game-winning shot against the Magic, took that momentum right into the game last night. So I tweeted at Adam knowing that Adam rewatching the game this morning was going to be in for a great surprise. Adam, I know that was going to be one of the first things you were looking for this morning as you're going through the game. Romeo's your guy. You have the floor. Dude, I wake up, I see this text message. I have a ritual if I'm waking up on a Sunday and there's a game on a Saturday night. Um, that ritual is I wake up, I go downstairs, I make a coffee. has to be Dunkin's if I'm watching the Celtics play. I have that stuff delivered. <laughs> um, so, you know, make myself um, a Dunkin' Donuts. I think I've got cinnamon roll at the moment. So a Dunkin' Donuts, cinnamon roll, coffee. I come upstairs, I sit down, get my little notepad out. If anyone watching on YouTube, I always... Ooh, I always take notes in my notepad about about the games because I, f- I find it makes me watch them more um, intensely or intently. And then I see Romeo and I'm like, okay, let's see what this guy done. And do you know what? For me, I really enjoyed his cutting. I enjoyed his um, aggressiveness driving towards the driving towards the hoop. But it was the three point shot. It looked fluid in game one, and 
I was like, okay, once he's fine, you know, but anybody, the, the dog shine, the sun shines on a dog's behind at least once. So, you know, let's see what happens in game two. And it looked fluid. And I'm like, okay, so maybe this shot's actually legit now because that shot looked fluid during Summer League too. He didn't yeah. get the conversion, but the, like the mechanics were very fluid then. Um, it seems like they're very um, ingrained, like that um, muscle memory. So he, his mechanics look very, very good at being um, easily repeatable. I think that, you know, there were times where I felt like he should have drove a little bit harder. I still feel like he'll bail out if the defense rotates over. I'd like to see him use his athleticism a little bit more once he gets down on the low block and just explode towards the hoop. If you're not going to get the dunk or the bucket, at least you're going to get the foul. But this is the Romeo we've seen in the last two games is not the Romeo we saw throughout Summer League even. And then obviously not through last year. There's that passive mentality is gone. There's more competition for places now. And I think that he realizes like, this is the season where I've got to show what I'm about. Otherwise then, you know, I'm not going to be on the Celtics and I'm going to be playing for a playing seed for the Washington Wizards for the next five years. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he looks confident and he looks determined. Right. And I think with a, a, a whole healthy off season to work on his game and to like get his mind used to having a healthy body again, it, see, it seems like he's super confident, and that's a huge part of what makes players great. It's just like, do you believe in your body? Are you confident that when you jump, you're going to land without twisting your ankle or something like that? You know, it's the whole reason why Gordon Hayward never quite got to, you know, Gordon Hayward again. And I think Romeo's starting to turn a corner, man. I, I was thinking through the first two games, I think it's safe to say, even though Neesmith has played well, even though Richardson had one, you know, a great bounce back game, Romeo's far surpassed them on the wing and i think right now going into game three and going into game one of the regular season i'm expecting romeo to be first wing off the bench what are you guys thoughts on that Well, that's interesting because I was, I was thinking about this last night. And and so based off merit through two games, and, and I was more thinking of it as I still feel like the, the 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 fifth spot in the starting lineup is still kind of open. Like we know one of the spots is going to either Rob or Al, and then maybe, maybe that fifth spot goes to one of them as well. But it could go to... It, I mean, it might be that. Or, you know, we had Wancho in the first game. Romeo got the start tonight without JB. But is there not a world in which maybe, you know, you could, in, you know, I, I, for me, I thought Josh Richardson going into the season may have had the inside track to having Marcus, three wings, the Jays, Richardson, and then Al or, or Rob. Maybe, maybe Romeo is because based off merit, just in these first two preseason games, you know, I, Romeo right now is making it really hard for Ime not to give him more playing time, regardless of what that capacity is, whether it's as a starter or <laughs> whether that's as a starter or that's as one of the first wings off the bench. Uh, but Romeo is certainly making his case right now. Um, it, it's, you know, to the point that we keep making here about depth, it's really hard because I think it's going to be a game to game thing where aside from, you know, the top five on the team, if Ime feels like it's the wrong matchup for you, he's got to change it. He's got a curveball. He's got a slider he can go to. He's got, you know, he's got different tools that, that he can plug into the game. So got a deep bullpen. Uh, exactly, exactly. So I'm not sure, but right now it's it's looking very good for Romeo having playing time in some capacity to start the season. Talk, y'all talk, brother. Do you keep going? Because I am all for this, bro. Like, okay, so look, the way I'm looking at it is Romeo started game two. Romeo's a starter now. 
Okay, I'm joking. Obviously, I don't want people coming in my DMs thinking I'm being completely serious. JB yeah. or Romeo, the Adam Taylor take coming up next. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I want them playing in the same same unit. Now, jokes aside, I think that, you know, if Romeo's free is consistent, I'm not saying like, you know, I'm not saying be a Malik Beasley and shoot 40% from free. I'm asking you to hit 36%. You know, it's only 4% difference. So if you want to take the extra 4% jump, by all means, go right ahead. But a bit of consistency from free with his defensive versatility on the perimeter and apparently a little bit more aggression in his decision-making, there's a world where he could eventually start seeing some consistent starts within that rotation matchup dependent. Um, I, I do think that that fifth and final roster spot is going to be very much a matchup dependent. However, Udoka has said previously he wants a settled starting five. Well, unfortunately, he doesn't realize he coaches the Celtics and that's not going to happen. So... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Yame, but uh, you were wrong on that one. Uh, that doesn't work. <laughs> we, we're coming from experience here, buddy. Um, but seriously, <laughs> seriously, though, I think that, you know, Romeo's putting in a very good um, account of himself. You know, I think that Neesmith's had his moments. But out of all the rookies, I think Peyton, well, not rookies, but young guys, I think Peyton Pritchard's still been the most dominant. Yeah. But Romeo comes in a close second, right? Like uh, Pritchard's just, Pritchard's just ridiculous, dude. Like I love watching that kid play. Uh, I loved Imaze. Did you hear Imaze quote about the four point, four point line, and stretching mm-hmm. things out to the four point line? Like he's like, if you can shoot from the four point line, then we're gonna stretch you out to the four point line because yeah. it's gonna give us driving lanes. Make an eight point line. Give Pritchard six weeks, and I'm sure he's gonna be hitting eight point line shots. Like I'm, um, I'm super confident in that young guy. I uh, yeah. love the way he handles the ball. He's doing it off the dribble now, too. It was a lot of catch and shoot last year. This year, he's kind of added being able to come off a screen or be able to do it one-on-one. He had a great step back towards the end of the shot clock on the left-hand side in the second half yesterday. Uh, I'm really excited about you know Peyton Pritchard and how he's going to be able to stretch the defense. But along those lines, something that I don't want to say it's concerning. It's just really something I'd like to see more of. You guys have mentioned Aaron Neesmith a couple times. I think he's had a solid you know, preseason first two games. I don't think it's been anything that's like, you know, necessarily hasn't stood out as much as Romeo or, or Peyton Pritchard has. But for me, part of it was, and I tweeted about this, I, I would like to see some action run for Neesmith to go ahead and get a look. I feel like a lot of his three-pointers are coming off either broken plays or, you know, he's spacing the court in some capacity and, and it will eventually end up there. But, you know, Adam, I think it was during Summer League, we talked a lot about him being like a movement shooter, getting him shooting off of movement to help create more space. Uh, I would like to see that at some point. Maybe that's just not in the cards for for right now with all the other pieces the Celtics have um, but that's something that I'd like to see a little bit more of in these last last two preseason games so yeah, you know how oh, sorry dude, no it's no go ahead no go ahead you got it you got it <laughs> so you know how you people always talk about the Chicago though right where it's a it's a pin down into a dribble handoff and it's designed to get you either a pull up free above the break or it's designed so you can drive the let drive middle right that's what everybody calls the Chicago set. You see every team running corner pin down into the dribble handoff. Well, you have an, another version of this called a Miami set. And it's the, it's basically the inverse. So you get the dribble handoff in the corner and then the screen. Okay? So you get like a DHO on the wing and then the ball, then you curl round into a screen. And rather, I, rather than a pin down. Yeah, rather than a pin yeah. down into a DHO, it's a DHO into a screen. And um, I would I would like to see them do that with Neesmith a little bit and maybe get a get action in there. So you have the DHO on the wing, then Neesmith pitches, like, passes it to the screener and then runs a get action. So he goes and collects it in a dribble handoff type of sequence. So in the end, then it ends up like a double DHO and then gets 
then pulls up after that three. Does that make sense? I think that's a set that you could run for for Neesmith and get him good looks because he's shooting off movement coming off of a screen. And I feel like he's always looked quite smooth shooting from that above the break slot region of the court. Yeah, I, I think, Will, you, you have a point in that we probably need to like actually seek out opportunities for Neesmith. But I think with the the offense that we're trying to run, if we run it properly and everybody's moving and the, making passes and making cuts, he's going to get those naturally within the flow of the offense. Um, I just don't know that we're there yet and that we understand yeah. where all those can be. Like if you watch Golden State play, just the way that Steph and Clay relocate and things of that nature, like I think Neesmith could be like that i don't he's not that level of a shooter though like he he's a really good shooter but i still think there are like holes in his shot bag um like i, I think he, he i i I'm, I'm not sure exactly but i think moving to his right he seems to be more comfortable than moving to his left um like his he has a tendency to like the arc on his shot isn't very consistent in my opinion it, it, it can get really flat at times and i'm wondering if it's like certain certain movements in his body like there's an imbalance or something in his mechanics because sometimes it looks great and it comes out of his hand i'm like wow that dude looks like buddy healed right now and other times when he shoots it it looks like tony allen so I, you know i i don't really know why that is but there are a couple of times when he shoots i'm just like that didn't look good i don't i don't i don't, I don't get why um but i, I kind of wanted to circle back to pritchard because pritchard in terms of his ceiling right he looked amazing early in his rookie season until he hurt his knee. And when he came back from his knee injury, he didn't look the same. But one guy that he reminds me of so much is the guy he was going up against last night in Fred Van Vliet. I think Peyton Pritchard's ceiling is Fred Van Vliet level because they're both undersized guards. They're not really athletic. They can shoot uh, from distance and they, they have really nice handles and they're physical on defense. Um, Van Vliet's probably just like a slightly better athlete than Pritchard just vertically and explosively. But Pritchard to me with Schroeder being out of the lineup, he really showed that he might be ready for more point guard minutes than I think we were kind of expecting him to get this season because he's, he's such a good floor spacer. Um, so I think Pritchard, I would, I was kind of worried about giving him backup point guard number one role. But the way that he shoots the ball, man, like we might need to go to him earlier in games. I know I think it was Coach Spins on Celtics blog advocated for him um, to start. Maybe it, maybe I, I get all the Celtics writers confused these days. But um, I, that's a take that I really like in in terms of either getting Pritchard in the starting lineup or pairing Pritchard's minutes with Tatum's minutes all the time, so that we can get Tatum on the mid mid to low block with Pritchard ball side, so that if if we clear it out and it's just Tatum and Pritchard on one side of the court. The double's really only going to come from you know from the nail or from the elbow, and if Pritchard is the one spacing out to thirty, he's going to get wide open threes, or Tatum's going to have an extra three feet of space to work. So, he, man, he, if if we once again take the knee injury out last season and go back to before he hurt his knee, like dude, that guy was amazing. He was one of our best players, most impactful players for the first ten games of the season last year, and I think towards the end of the year he just lost his confidence, and it seems like he has it back. And I think that's an, a, a um, like Udoka's offense also is empowering a lot of people right now. You know, he, the, the way that he he's he's kind of just like putting in this new system and instilling confidence in everybody. Going back to Semi, kind of wonder what Semi would look like in this offense. No, I, I don't think we need to do that. I think, I, I think we're good. I think we had, I think we had our fill of the Ojale factory. Yeah, that's what that's for Milwaukee fans to worry about at this point. <laughs> 
He's Zach been in Lowe, dude, Zach Lowe on Zach Lowe's podcast was talking about Semi Ojale, like he was going to be an X Factor for the yeah. Bucks. Yeah, Simmons oh, came on there be. and they let it off with that. <laughs> I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? We we choose to start with Ted Lasso. Let's choose to start, choose to start with Semi Ojale. Fortunately, I think we win this battle. Um, <laughs> no, I want to touch on that Fred Van Vliet comparison because I've seen it around a bunch, right? And I, I completely concur. I agree. The one thing I would say is I do feel like um, Fred Van Vliet has more of an edge to the way he plays. He's got a little bit more aggression to him. Um, I think that Pritchard is more, his competitiveness is more internalized than what Van Vliet's is. Like when Van Vliet wants to win, you can see in, in his mannerisms, in how physical he plays, whereas Pritchard just looks like, um, it just looks the same consistently. You just never, you never really see any emotion on him unless he's smiling after hitting a game winning through. Um, and sometimes I think that's just because he doesn't want everyone to know his eyebrow with Rhino. He's going to be careful. Like, the glue might come off. Yeah, seriously. But no, for jokes aside, I do genuinely believe that that is probably the the absolute ceiling of where Pritchard can get to. Uh, I just think that if he wants to get there, you might need to see him allow some of that aggression to seep through into his on-court play from time to time. Because part of what got Fred Van Vliet to where he is, is the edginess, as well as the unpredictability as a pull-up shooter off the dribble and a facilitator and his defense. Mm-hmm. There's times where Van Vliet just, you can see that he's ready to go to war and he wants to battle and be physical. And we haven't seen that from Pritchard up to this point. We've seen him hustle and play hard, but we haven't seen him kind of like, yeah, I don't care what i got to do if it's going to take me taking a charge on the top of my head, then I'm going to do it. You know, you see that from Van Vliet. He plays with that kind of ferocious mentality from time to time. And I think if we do want him to reach that Fred Van Vliet level, we need to see a little bit more of that, like, um, Spartanism. So you, you're saying, what you're telling me is that since his eyebrows are drawn on, we should just, like, paint on the Roy Kent eyebrows and then we're good? Oi! Oi! <laughs> what you doing? <laughs> I, th- th- there's a lot of words we can't say on this podcast to do to do better Roy Co- Roy Kent impressions. Oh man, Roy Kent! I'm telling you, dude, he's uh he's my idol. But yo, real quick before we leave the Raptors, man, the Raptors were were better than than, than what I was expecting last night. You know what I mean? I mean, yo, the Barnes was scary. They, yeah, scary. Barnes looked great. You know, I'm uh, just just from like everything you guys have said, I'm a huge Fred Van Vliet fan. I've I've been a big fan of his over the last couple of years. I love OG and Anobi. Actually, OG and Fred Van Vliet are probably two of my favorite non-Celtics, like just around the league. You know, discounting like some of the other like superstars that you could you could obviously put into that category. Uh, but then when they get Boucher and they get uh, and they get Pascal back, like. That's a long athletic team that can that can do a lot of stuff really well. They've got a championship pedigree with a lot of those players. Gary Trent Jr. is kind of coming in as like a seventh man. Like Gary Trent Jr. as a sixth, seventh man is a really nice player. You know, the, the East is going to be so Spee. tough this year. Svee. I have no idea how you say his last name, but I know my dude shoots the lights out from Kansas. Svee Malakuka. <laughs> Isn't it Malahiluk? I have no idea, yes, bro. Yes, it's Malahiluk. No. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, no, dude, I love the Raptors, man. I, I was um, so Will and I were actually uh, on a call with our girl Smarfwater earlier today, and um, we were just talking about the about the Raptors and Scotty Barnes, man. Scotty Barnes, to me, his floor is Sean Marion, and that's his floor. Like with it, with his with his measurables and his IQ and his tenacity on defense, I really think that's his floor, and that's a 
hell of a floor. I think Scotty Barnes, hot take, this is gonna be a hot take, reminded Scorching. me a lot of year two Giannis. That's what he reminded me of last night watching him. Giannis Antetokounmpo, year two in the league, not year one, year two, where you started to kind of see like, oh man, this is this is this is actually interesting. What what the Bucks have here. I don't know, obviously, that he's going to get to Giannis levels. But if the kid's 19 years old and they're saying he's 6'10", 6'11", dude, he blocked Jason Tatum's three-point shot last night. Yeah. How many times have you seen that happen? I've never seen Jason Tatum's three-point shot get blocked, and Scotty Barnes did it in his second preseason game. Like, he's just scary. The, like, when he was running around the court, I was like, dude, this guy might be the best athlete in the league in, like, three years. He was that impressive to me. Like, I was, I was... I, I, I didn't know who Scotty Barnes was really coming into this season, but after watching him last night, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to tune he in. Was, uh, he was scaring me a little bit getting up in Jason Tatum's grill and just being a little bit of a wild card last night, uh, which I totally get. You know, like to your point, he's 19 years old. He's kind of still getting his feet under him. He's trying to show that he's, you know, I mean, he was in the starting lineup already, so he's trying to show that he belongs. Uh, but yeah, he's he's going to be someone to keep an eye on. And just just in general, like I said, this East is so damn deep. Every time I feel like I can put the East into tiers, like the tier below, whichever tier I'm looking at is like, man, they really actually could be like one level above if they get this one thing to happen. Or maybe I'm underestimating something. And so, you know, I think it was, if you take out the Magic and the Pistons, probably the Cavs too, even though the Cavs have a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of cool. But I don't really know if they they work together. Like they have a bunch of stuff that you could like go to the market and just pick out like a Lori Markin and pick out a Colin Sexton at the right price. Like it's not bad, but I don't know if it works together. But other than those three teams, I think every single team in the East is going to be right in that range of, of fighting for for some form of playoff spot, whether that's the top six or that seven to ten playing. Before we move on from the Raptors, though, dude, Precious Achua also <laughs> he oh was everywhere God. to start that game. Dude, he stole. He ripped the ball from Jason Tatum twice. One time in the first half, Tatum had him in an in a isolation on the wing, tried to drive through him, and Achua literally just took the ball out of his hands. And then the second time, he just peeled him on the perimeter, just took his cookies. Like, what? I, I knew Precious. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> Jason Tatum got blocked by Scotty Barnes at a three-point shot and got ripped by Precious Achua twice. Dude, if they can put out a lineup of Siakam, OG, Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua, and Van Vliet, Vliet. or V, if you want to space the floor, like, dude, they they're they're scared. Now, now, yeah, Drogic. Now that Kyle Lowry's gone, I can say that I'm going to root for the Raptors this year. They're going to be my second team in the East that I I tune in to watch. So you may have noticed I've been quiet for a few minutes at the start of this podcast. I will come back to your scorching hot take about Scotty Barnes, and then I want to talk about stealing cookies. But before, <laughs> and then I want to have my say on Precious Achua as well. But there was indeed an American coach that coached in the Premier League, and he was, his name was Bob Bradley, I think it was. And oh yeah, yeah, he was the Team USA coach for a little bit too, as well. Yeah. Yeah, and he 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 was the manager at Swansea City, which used to be in the Premier League, and he lasted a total of eighty-five days. <laughs> so, so Ted Lasso's doing better. Ted Lasso kept his job after relegation. Bob Bradley got fired before they even got relegated. So yeah, Ted Lasso's doing way better. Adam, do you Sorry. do you know how Ted Lasso got started? Like the idea for the show? No. So 
several years ago, this is back when Jason Sudeikis was was on SNL. Uh, NBC had bought the rights to the Premier League to start getting like Americans involved in soccer, and so they made a, a, a commercial that was exactly the premise of like a spoof of like, hey, we're going to take this American football coach and have him explain English football to American fans, and it was really just a promo that they did probably like a decade ago, and then eventually that's now what became Ted Lasso. Well, they were geniuses. <laughs> and for anyone who's listening that doesn't like Ted Lasso, be a goldfish. Goldfish, the happiest be animal goldfish. So let's get back to this. So Sean Merrion as his floor is a very hot take. It's so hot that it's scorching to the point where I could fry eggs on the floor. That is a hot. <laughs> Sean Marion was legit, dude. Like, I, I putting mm-hmm. that as the floor. You can't even put that as, like, the mid-level of his of his development. You're putting it as the floor. Like this guy will not be worse than what Sean Marion was. That's a dude. He nuts. he already he already has like a crazy IQ. His length. I mean, he's he's probably the same size, maybe an inch taller than Sean Marion. And like, I don't know, man. Like, I normally when I watch a guy for the first time, I can kind of see if they have like the it factor about them. There's something That's about fair. Scotty Barnes. That I, I was really liking it, man. Like, if, if I'm a Raptors fan, I'm excited. And as a Celtics fan, I'm scared what he's going to be in five years. Now, we got Romeo. It's all good. And then we go <laughs> on to Precious. <laughs> then we go on to Precious. I like Precious. I think that you were fair on Precious. He did he did take people's cookies. He's a very big guy. I'm sure he needed cookies. I would have taken cookies, too. Um, I, thought I like cookies. Um, fits in very much. Like, I think Scal said it. He plays very, very similar to Bam Adebayo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very big, very imposing, physical. I don't think he's got the passing ability of Bam. Um, I don't know if he'll ever develop the passing ability of Bam, but he's definitely he strikes me as a Raptors type of player, right? He fits within their system. He fits within the type of guys that they look to get to accentuate their more talented ball handlers. However, I'm not worried because you've got Preston Chua and we've got Robert Williams. Um. Just, you know, I'm just making, trying to be fun here as well as analyze things <laughs> at the same time. I want to end it on this. We finally got to see the Rob Williams, Al Horford horn set. We finally got to see, and it was as glorious as predicted. Um, it had many applications on which a successful basketball set can be ran. It had many applications in which real life lessons can be learned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely it was glorious. It was it, it, it befitted a Sunday morning for me. It really did. That was my church. Um, honestly, though, I think that that was super effective. I like the way that they uh, they covered for each other on the perimeter. One would switch, one would kind of switch down to help protect the dunker spot. And then, you know, if somebody quicker was switched on to Al, then they'd try and figure a way of getting Rob out onto the perimeter and moving Al back. Uh, super versatile. This is not the double big lineup from last year. This is the Al Horford, Robert Williams double barrel chrome to your dome big man lineup and I'm all for it. I think it was a really, really good experiment and I hope we see a bunch of that this year. So on a on a Rob Williams note, and and I will preface with this, plus minus is an extremely flawed stat for especially an individual game. But it really jumps out the page it jumps off the page at me right now. Plus twenty two for Rob Williams. Didn't take a single shot. Didn't take a single shot. Plus twenty two, like like I said, I know it's a flawed statistical metric, but that that's really hard not to just look at you in the face and talk about the impact that this guy has defensively, and then still can have on the offensive end without even having having to score. Just executing, doing as as Adam's been talking about, 
self, um, non-selfish basketball, unselfish basketball, that's the word, unselfish basketball isn't necessarily just making the pass. It's doing what you're asked to do within the offense. And he, I mean, he, yesterday he was rolling hard in that horn set, as you were saying, Al was normally the pop man. And even when he was getting the ball at the, you know, on the delay at the top of the key, he was making, he was making the right reads and setting great screens, rolling hard to the rim. One thing that I really liked about him comparing him to Precious though, there was one play Precious took him baseline and tried to body him up and he just took it right in the chest. And I think he fouled him on one and another one, he blocked his shot. And we talked about in the past, Rob hasn't really had the the muscle to handle guys that would just try and bully him like the Embiid's of the world. But Precious, as you said, Adam is a big dude and he tried to like get his shoulder into Rob and he didn't move Rob an inch. So that in terms of like, Looking, Rob looking more bulked up. He's been eating his cookies. Yeah, no one stole Rob Williams' cookies. But, no um, one stole no, his cookies. I noticed that too. He 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 ate the contact. He absorbed it well. Managed to stay on his uh stay on his line. The most important thing to me was he ate the contact, but it didn't change his defensive stance. Like there was no, like he didn't lose half a step or he didn't open up his hips because you know if someone pushes you you like depending on the way your body's situated generally one you one angle one part of your body is going to move back at which point it opens up an angle and that's what you're trying to do when you do that because then you can spin off that angle or you can cross over and attack that angle and you've got to try and get your feet back where they need to be so not allowing that contact to knock your body off course and staying in that defensive position not giving up any any form of angle that can be exploited uh, that's why you put on that type of muscle. That's why it's so important to build your frame. So when you do absorb the contact, everything remains the way, like basically vertical, and it, you don't get knocked off course, and you don't give up anything that can be exposed or um, any opportunistic crossovers can cook you on. So I'm I'm really happy with Rob. I think that um, I'm I'm not concerned about his lack of scoring. Obviously. Game one, I, I was hyped that he was taking those mid-range jumpers. I've been screaming for it for about a year. Uh, I don't care that they didn't fall either. Keep shooting your shot, bro. They're going to fall eventually. It's again, it's like that dating theory, right? Like you just ask as many people as possible, one will eventually say yeah. Shoot it's as many, many as you need. Yeah, yeah. Shoot as many shots as you need to, and still to start to fall, especially in preseason. Man, no one cares. Adam, uh, real real quick on that Rob Williams jump shot. Greg and I talked about this on uh, on the six one seven podcast. Little. Might be a little blasphemous here, but did you uh did you get a little KG vibe out of that Rob Williams mid range jump shot? We're going for all the hot takes today, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we might need to put that one back in the closet, you know. But I'm just saying, uh, like I don't know, it, it crossed yeah, my mind. It, it will, well, just like we said on our pod, man. Like we'll we'll check in on that in a couple of years. Just like all the people that I know are probably gonna like comment, it's like, oh my god, you think you think Scotty Barnes is gonna be honest? Like. <laughs> I'm not answering anybody's DMs or any any ats. I'm just gonna say check in with me in four years when Scotty Barnes. Did you say Scotty Barnes would be there too, Giannis as well, didn't you? Yeah, he's year two Giannis right now. He's year two Giannis. Year two Giannis. Year two Giannis was like he, he was exciting, but he wasn't he wasn't Giannis. You didn't think so, he was gonna so, be the MVP. So, so the right now what we're two. saying is that Scotty Barnes is a hybrid of Giannis and Sean Marion, and his floor is that. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're willing to die on the hill, man, I'm all for it, man. For it, I'm, I'm not gonna die on this. I'm gonna like, I'm gonna be like um, <laughs> one of those GMs that just say, "Oh, check in with me five years down the road." I'm gonna keep my job for now. Yeah. Check in with me five years down the road. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. However, the mid-range jump shot it is super effective for Rob Williams, especially coming off those screens if he wants the short roll. 
or with the movement that they're running, you know, if he wants to come off the low block and try and receive a, um, receive a pass around that elbow, maybe run some out of an elbow series when it breaks down the jumpers there. That That's super effective, man. So, so I'm willing to go along the lines of KGS, possibly. I'm just saying, think about it. Let's see if he keeps shooting it. You know, like it's it's got some work to go, but I'm just saying, I got I got some. We got German Rondo out there. Now we got Rob Williams with a little bit of KG impression. You know, I'm just having flashbacks. I think is all it is. So this this episode is now going to be called Spicy Ones because <laughs> of all the takes that it's been thrown. Uh, but no, isn't it isn't it so excited to exciting to just like have stuff to talk about? Last year with the Celtics, I feel like we were, we were all just like trying to come up with content to talk about. <laughs> I could talk for another three hours about the first, yeah. the second preseason game. Like all the young guys right now are like starting to play to their potential. I'm pretty excited, dude. Juancho looks good as well. Let's not be. Uh, yeah. I think Juancho looks. Uh, he's quicker than I anticipated him to be. I think that was my biggest takeaway from Juancho Hernan Gomez. Juancho. Juancho. I think that's where we end it. Um, <laughs> like Greg said, anyway, I can keep going, but I, I feel like we do need to wrap here at some point. Yeah, it needs to be done. It's uh, you know, it's uh, eleven fifteen p.m. and there's a season two of Ted Lasso just with my name on it, bro. Um, so for anybody listening, as usual, please make sure you go over to your Apple device, you search Celtics blog, you scroll down to where there's five stars, you press on the five stars, and then you type out a nice little blurb about why you love us so much. If you're not using an Apple device, well, then you can't do that, unfortunately. But what you can do is you can go tell all your friends, family, Uber drivers, Lyft, if you don't use Uber. You know, some people use Lyft. I've only learned about Lyft when I was out in the States. You know, DoorDash guy, somebody that's teaching you how to swim, your fencing instructor if you're from an affluent neighborhood, whoever it may be, make sure that you tell them, yo, I love these guys, the free man weave, do their thing, they're funny, they're entertaining, but we learn something too. And with that, I will throw it over to, I'm going to do an eeny, mini miny, moe in my head. I'm going to throw it over to Greg to do this out. Okay. Once again, don't come at me for my Scotty Barnes takes. <laughs> uh, but you can find me uh, on Twitter at Mini Minnow. You can find me on Instagram at Manakis underscore music. And you can uh, follow my band on Spotify. My band down here in Austin, Texas, we're called Black Sheep Optimists. Three words. And with that, Black Sheep Optimist will lead us out with a song called D-Lo. Peace. Be a goldfish. Be a goldfish. We're talking about practice. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.